Isaiah 53, and we'll read together verses 4, 5, and 6. And as we read these verses, you will probably get the sense that what is being recorded by the prophet Isaiah is something to do with the servant's burden. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Amen. What is a burden? Well, if you were to take your dictionary and you were to look up what the dictionary would define a burden as, it would tell you that it is something that is carried. It is a load. It is something that is born with difficulty. It's an obligation. It's an onus. And if we are to burden somebody, then what we do is that we are to load them heavily or oppressively. And in these verses that we have read, we are instantly and immediately introduced to this servant. This servant, uh, whom we know to be the Lord Jesus Christ, bears something. He has a burden. And what we find in these verses, very generally, is that the burden that he has, the burden that he carries, what has been put upon his shoulders is us. That's you, that's me, that's every sinner. It's a great burden that he bears. It's a difficult burden. It's a heavy burden. And what we consider this morning is not very easy to hear. Not very pleasant to stop and think about. But this servant, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, took upon himself the well-being, the eternal welfare of each and every person. And I want us to look at three ways in which he burdened himself with us. The first that we find in verse 4 is that his burden was that he would be identified with us. Now look how verse 4 begins. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. It's our griefs, our sorrows that were upon him. Isaiah is explaining what this servant had to endure. The one who was rejected not only is just, is just rejected, but he's afflicted. Things are loaded upon him. He receives nothing of honor. He receives nothing of praise. All he gets is affliction, pain, and humiliation. And he identifies himself with us, firstly, despite our weaknesses, our griefs, our sorrows, our weakness. Isaiah gives us the reason why this servant is so plagued with hardship. There is a reason why this servant has problem and difficulty and pain and anguish heaped upon him time and time again. There has to be a reason for it. If there was no reason for this suffering and this burdening of the servant, it would be utterly absurd because he is the supreme authority in all of the universe. He is the creator 
of the universe, and yet he is coming under this burden and shouldering it for us. What we are told in this little segment of the verse is that every negative thing that is carried by the servant was ours. Let that sink in. Every negative thing that is experienced by this servant, this suffering servant, this servant of God, this Messiah, this Jesus Christ, was our negative, our burden. He took upon himself our humanity. Philippians 2 verse 7 says this, He emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of man. He took upon himself our limitations. He became a finite human being rather than the infinite, ever-present. He took upon himself the weaknesses that come with being human. He needed sleep. He needed food. He needed water to drink. He wept. He mourned. He was tempted. God rejected us because we are sinners. And so Christ, this servant, faced that rejection. He became, as Paul would write in the Galatians, a curse for us. In our sinfulness, he became sin. He died for sin. He was punished for sin. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. You know, it would have been utterly and completely unreasonable for mankind to ask any other to bear his burden. But Christ volunteered to be loaded with it. It would have been unjust for the one who is completely innocent of every sin and any sin to face the punishment of those who are guilty of sin. But what did Christ Jesus do? He willingly accepted that burden of punishment. Christ made himself like us in that he became man so that he could take our load, so that he could carry our burden. This burden of the servant was not his own, it was ours. And so we have to understand that we may come to Christ, that we come to the one who saves, and that he would lift us up. Because what he does is he holds the unbearable burden. He endures the intolerable anguish. And he allows himself to carry the load that is ours. He allows himself to carry the sin that is ours for us. And we come to him for that relief. Have you come to Christ? Does he bear your burden? Oh yes, he identifies himself with us despite our weaknesses. But as we continue in verse 4, we see that he identifies himself with us despite our foolishness. Verse 4 continues, Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. What Isaiah does here is he shows the depths of the ingratitude shown by people, the Jews and the Gentiles alike. As the bystanders are watching the suffering of this servant, the burden he's carrying, deep in their hearts they know that they are the ones who are guilty and that he is innocent. But yet they are saying that he is the one who is stricken by God. They say that he is the one who is cursed by God. He is the one who has committed this wrongdoing. 
and the people looking on see him so wretched that they work up in their own mind that it could only be God's vengeance against him and his wrongdoing that is the reason for his suffering. The violence of the punishment that comes on this servant is so great that it surely has to be God who despises him. And they don't see. And the tragedy is that as they witness that this scene is of one bearing what should have been theirs. There is no appreciation that Jesus Christ is identifying with the sinner. What foolishness, what folly. Never forget that Christ was not the enemy of God. Who's the enemy of, the God, of God but the sinner? And who is the sinner? Me. You. And so we extrapolate and extend that to say that we, when we are lost in sin, are the enemies of God. And the violence that Christ faced is the violence that we rightly deserve. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is what? It's death. And Christ's identification with us is despite the foolishness of our hearts in saying that he's getting what he deserves. Or God must so despise him. And yet he's paying our penalty. We should never look upon Jesus Christ and mock his pain. We should never look upon Jesus Christ and despise his death. But we should tremble in wonder and in awe that this was all experienced, that we might be forgiven. Know this. Christ is innocent of sin because he is perfect. Know this equally well, that you are guilty of sin. Uh, David would say in the Psalms, Psalm 51 verse 5, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. It's not that we do something and become sinners. But we are sinners and therefore we commit sin. And so this morning, perhaps you might say, well, Jesus Christ isn't even real. Well, if Christ is non-existent, who is it that identifies with you? You might even turn around and say, well, I think Christ is foolish for taking this on board when he was so innocent. Well, if Christ is a fool, who is it that makes up and goes beyond the mistakes that you have made? Perhaps you think Christ lacked judgment. Well, if you think that, why would Christ think that you are worth saving? Christ took the burden of identifying himself with us. And as the writer to the Hebrews would say, that great rhetorical question of Hebrews 2 verse 3, how will we escape <coughs> if we neglect so great a salvation? What was the burden of this servant to identify himself with you? But verse 5 takes this idea of him being burdened just a step further. Yes, he identifies himself with us, but in verse 5 what we see is that he took the burden of being substituted into our place for us.
Jesus Christ is like us in every way, except he's entirely without sin. And as we go through this passage, this great passage of the Old Testament, what we find is that there was one who was able to meet us in our greatest need because he substituted himself into our place. And he did this in two ways. Firstly, he did it by taking what was ours. Verse 5 says, He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. There was a condemnation that was handed down upon this servant But it was unjust, it was false, it was wrong. He did not deserve this condemnation. Everybody else deserved it, but it falls upon his shoulders. And Isaiah is clear that everyone knew that to be the case. This servant of Isaiah 53 is the one who stands in the place of the wrongdoer. And he does that so that he can take the punishment that the wrongdoer deserves. Have you ever uh, witnessed a scene in court? I know that people tend not to go to court. There's a wee stigma attached to it. We go to court generally because we're called up for something. Not from personal experience to say that, I'll have you know. But have you ever heard of somebody receiving a guilty verdict handed out by the jury? And just before the judge passes sentence, somebody from the public gallery, gallery stands up and says, hold on, I'll take the punishment instead. I didn't commit the crime, but I'll take the punishment. Has that ever happened? But yet, this servant was pierced and crushed. Not for his crimes, but for ours. The piercing, the crushing all took place because of the sin of others. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, Christ died for our sins according to Scripture. His suffering was whole. It was complete. It enveloped all of his body, his hands, his feet, his side. It overwhelmed his soul unto the point of death. And what this servant allowed himself to endure had no limit. For the wrath of God knows no limit save this that Christ Jesus stood under the wrath of God and he bore it and it was poured out upon him and it came upon him time and time and time again until he exhausted what was inexhaustible. Oh, we need to know that Christ was punished for our sins. He wasn't punished because of our sin. You see the difference. If he was punished because of our sin, then he would have had to have committed them, but he didn't but he was punished for them in our place. Christ stood under the crushing weight of sin and he withstood the fire and the vengeance of the wrath of God. And this is why we have to come to Christ because he will take for us what we cannot bear ourselves. We should be standing under the weight of sin's punishment. But Christ does it for us. Let me ask you, have you allowed Christ to stand in your place? 
Have you been lifted out from under the weight of the punishment of sin and set free? As Christ takes it for you. Because if this has not happened to you, then you will stand under that punishment yourself. And we must, each one of us, come in repentance for sin and in submission to Jesus Christ because he took what was ours. But he substitutes himself for us in that he gives to us what is his. It's a two-way thing. He takes what is ours, but then he gives us what is his. Verse 5 goes on, The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, other translations say, by his stripes, we are, what? we are healed. We receive his healing. We receive his standing. You know, many people have argued as to what this little portion of verse 5 means. But I see it as being abundantly clear. That this servant accepted the suffering. He accepted the burden in order to give others what he had. And that is the right relationship with God. That healing at the very end of the verse speaks about being put on the right footing before God. David would say in the Psalms, you have taken me out of the slimy pit, out of the miry clay, and you've set my feet on solid rock. You've taken me from where really I was in mortal danger and you've put me on something that is eternally secure. These words speak to us about the reconciliation that comes where God himself makes right the broken relationship. That he puts right the damage that sin did to our relationship. What happened to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, that first sin, when they sinned, what did God do? He took them, Adam and Eve, and he cast them out of the Garden of Eden. He took them and he threw them out of his presence and then he placed an angel at the entrance to the garden with a flaming sword so that Adam and Eve could not go back in. That is what sin has done. And so by the work of this servant, the sinner, by means of free grace, is restored to the proper place that God has allotted for men and women in his presence. And this punishment, this scourging was no gentle flogging, but it was a violent whipping that he received for us. And then he was subjected to the most agonizing death ever invented by mankind. He was put upon the cross where people did not die quickly, but slowly, death lingering. And this is all laid upon the servant. The wounding, wounding inflicted upon him for us. The marks that were put on his body there for us. And yet Christ, this servant, is the great healer. He is the one who can cure us from the eternally terminal disease of sin. And we are saved not just from the consequence of sin, but we are saved from sin itself. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins might be wiped away. You know, we can do nothing to save ourselves. We are wholly unable to restore ourselves into the presence of God. It took the desire, the moving, and the power of God to put right what sin had destroyed. 
With human beings, with us, there is death, there is destruction, but with Jesus Christ, there is only life and salvation. John 10 and 10 says this, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Sin has poisoned us. But we have this great antidote to sin. There are countries, indeed continents in this world that are so blighted by the attack of snakes. Men and women go out to work in the fields and they are bitten and they are envenomated by the snake and they suffer and they quite often die. But there is a thing called anti-venom. And anti-venom is made mainly, or certainly in the early days, it was made by injecting a horse with that venom. And it didn't harm the horse, but what the horse would do is it would produce the antibodies and the platelets and really it would produce the antidote to the venom. And it would be given to the person bitten by the snake and they would live. And that is what happens for us. That is what Christ gives to us. That he stands under sin and bears its punishment. And then he gives us his righteousness. He gives us his forgiveness. 1 John 5, 11 and 12. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. But here's the very great warning. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Do you have the Son of God this morning? Is this servant your Savior? You know, we required Christ to give us this salvation because we could not earn it or create it or make it ourselves. And when, when he gives us his righteousness, we then stand in the presence of God. But without Christ, our standing before God is entirely different. Our standing before God is in judgment alone. Are you standing before God on the rock that is Jesus Christ? Or are you standing on your own worth, your own effort, your own merit? Let Christ give you the life that is his salvation. And this leads to verse 6. The burden was that Jesus Christ would identify himself with us. Then he would substitute himself for us. But here is the burden that he has always had and always will have for us. And it is this, that he preoccupies himself with us. Often we forget that God's plan of salvation was not a response to sin. Adam and Eve didn't sin and then God held a counsel and said, well, what can we do about this? How can we put it right? God didn't have to do that because he knew what he was going to do about sin before sin even came into existence. And it was this that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, determined that he would go to the cross. And he determined this before even time began. And so there has never been one moment of eternity in which Christ did not know what he would do for you. He is preoccupied with us. And he's preoccupied with us firstly because we are lost. Verse 6, all of us, all of us, like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Isaiah here, he, he paints a little picture 
for those that are reading his prophecy, just so that they know what's happening. And everybody round about Isaiah would know something about sheep. They would know what they were like, what they would do, where they would go. And Isaiah, through the picture of the sheep, lets us see how necessary the servant's corrective work is. It's not just some people that need his help. Everybody needs it. And the human race is likened to sheep. Sheep go where they want. They don't sit back and analyze the danger as to where they're going. They just go, they follow their nose. And they fall into the pitfalls. They fall into harm. They encounter danger. And if that's not bad enough, but the sheep behind the first sheep goes the same way, does the same thing, falls into the same harm. Sheep are simple creatures who are prone to danger. And you know, the way of men and women is very similar. We like to think that we're clever and intelligent, and in some instances we are, but we are simple in the sense that we go where our nose leads us. We go where our desires leads us. We're headstrong, we're disobedient, we are sinful. And nobody's excluded from this description. It's our natural condition. But Christ has come. He's thought of us. He's pursued us. And in Psalm 119, the last verse of that long chapter, 176 is the verse, it says, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. You know, our way, mankind's way, can only be described as dark, evil, slippery, crooked. Our hearts lead us astray. Our hearts take us from God. Our hearts lead us into sin. Uh, Galatians 5 verses 19 to 21 lists a litany of sin. And it says this, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. That is the natural disposition of human beings, the precise and exact opposite and antithesis of God. And we need God to find us. We read that lovely little parable just at the outset of our service, where the shepherd lost one of his 100 sheep. He wasn't happy at all living 99% of his flock. That wasn't good enough for the shepherd. He wanted them all. That shepherd could have perhaps sat back and said, well, 99 out of 100, that's a pretty good day's work. I only lost 1%. I'll just put my feet up tonight and I'll rest and I'll relax and I'll do my best not to lose another one tomorrow. No, the shepherd didn't do that. He went out. He went into the hillsides and into the dangerous areas and he looked in all the places that that poor sheep could have been lost in and he kept looking and looking and looking until he found that sheep. We have to rejoice this morning that even though we are lost, Jesus can and will find us. No matter what you have done, no matter what you are like, doesn't matter where you've been. doesn't matter what you once desired. Jesus Christ can reach you and he will save you. 
if you will, but let him. Oh, that we could share in First Peter 2, verse 25. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. Let Christ find you, because he's preoccupied with you. Preoccupied with us because we were lost, but as we see at the end of verse 6, he was preoccupied with us because we were helpless. The Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. This servant song gives us such a beautiful contrast. A contrast between the things that we do that are damaging and the things that this servant does that bring healing. Why was this innocent servant punished? Well, he was punished because of the sinner's inability to save himself. The work of the servant sets us free. John 8 verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. No limits. No caveats. No clauses in the small print. Completely, utterly, undeniably free. You will remember the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16. What happened there, but on the Day of Atonement that happened once a year, uh, the, the high priest would find a goat that was unmarked, unblemished. And he would pray while putting his hands on the head of this goat. And he would pray for the sin of the whole nation to be transferred on the goat. And then the goat would be set free into the wilderness. Not set free in any real sense because the goat would wander off into the desert. No water, no food. And it would eventually die bearing the sin of the nation. And this is what happened to the servant. He took upon himself your sin, my sin. And in his perfect unblemished state, he bore that and went to his death that the punishment for our sin would be met. Only a mighty God could do this. Only a wonderful Savior would love us enough to endure this. And our minds should boggle at what this means for us. Even though we are utterly helpless, there is one who can help us and who does help us. We would not survive without the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. We would be lost for all eternity. Well, Christ did not go to the cross in any, any serene or sanctified fashion. He sweat in the garden great drops of blood. He stumbled as he carried his cross. He cried out in pain as he hung upon the tree. And yet he would still say, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. It is Christ who purchases our freedom. We need to know that we're helpless. We need to know there's nothing that we can do. But we need to come to Christ. He is the only way. He is salvation. And if we leave from this place in just a few minutes' time, not having trusted in Jesus Christ, then we leave as we came in, destined for eternal punishment. 
If we leave without Jesus Christ, if we face God without Jesus Christ, then we will stand before God having to answer for our sin ourselves. Yet if Christ has taken our sin, if we have trusted in Him, He answers for it and He says, well, I've paid the penalty. If we face the wrath of God ourselves, then we will experience the full judgment for ourselves. If we have Christ, then He has paid it and borne it for us. Oh, the servant's burden was not just sin. The servant's burden was the sinner. Christ was burdened with you. He took these things upon himself for you. He stepped outside of eternity into time to do all of this for you. His burden was to identify himself with you. He became a man so that he might die. That great hymn by Charles Wesley, and can it be, says this in the second verse. It says, "'Tis mystery all, the immortal dies. Who can explore his strange design? Well, he identified himself with you. His burden was to substitute himself for you. He took your place to bear the punishment for your sin. He became sin who knew no sin, that you might become his righteousness. He took what was yours and gave you what was his. And his burden was and is to be preoccupied with you. He knows you. He understands you. He made you, but he wants to redeem you, and so he will pursue you that he might save you and deliver you. Please find delight in the burden that Christ shouldered for you. Find delight by coming to trust Him, to surrender to Him, to receive forgiveness from Him. And then we can sing that final verse of And Can It Be that says, No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in Him is mine. Alive in Him my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ, my own. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for this willingness of your servant to be burdened for us. We thank you that he bore it all upon his own body, that he received a body of flesh and bone, that he lived a perfect life, but Father, we thank you that he took our place in dying on the cross instead of us. Such love demands a response. Such sacrifice needs acknowledgement. Help us to come to Christ today, to confess our sin, and to take him, acknowledge him, and allow him his rightful place as Lord and Savior of our life. Oh, Father, may your spirit move in our hearts. May he convict us of all of these things. And may we know the wonder and the greatness of the salvation that comes through Christ alone. Help us, we pray, for we ask it in the precious name of Jesus Christ, Lord, Savior, and Master. Amen.